Nation, there's so many reasons out there to start taking notes on the Rocketbook. I'll list a few. One, it's a reusable notebook. When you've finished with your notes and you've scanned them into their app, you can simply just moisten the page and then wipe off with a microfiber and you can reuse that page over and over again. The best feature about the Rocketbook is you can search your notes. You will never lose a note again, which means you don't have to go back and do the valuable work you've already done because you can't find it. It is absolutely one of my favorite tools. Go to our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash Rocketbook to take 15% off your first order of $20 or more and never lose a note again. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Nation, this is episode 258. And as I am recording this episode, I'm looking at some of our show statistics. And again, every time I do this, I do this, I'm just extremely humbled at how well this show is doing. And a couple of things. One, we are well over 10,000 people that regularly download this podcast on a regular basis. And we are in the top 100 podcasts listened to in two countries, Italy and Sweden. So I don't know how that happened. I'm sure glad that it did. And my ask is uh, those people that are listening to us in Italy and Sweden, please join us on the next hang. The hang is going to be July 14th. Eastern time we will be meeting at 6 p.m. And I would love to meet some of the people that are making this a top 100 downloaded podcast in those two countries course, we're mostly in the United States. I'll say over 92% of our listeners are in the United States. And then there are about 75 other countries that listen to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Thank you for everybody out there in the Scaling Up H2O nation. It is just amazing that the Scaling Up Nation has gotten so big, and I will tell you that I am so humbled. I am so proud. I am so honored to be the tribe leader of the Scaling Up Nation. Folks, let's face it. All I do is have a microphone, and I try to come at you each and every week with a few words that hopefully inspire you to love this industry as much as I do, to look for new things that you can do to find out more about our industry, more than you perhaps know in our industry. I encourage you to talk about our industry with other people. And above all else, how are you going to make this amazing industry better because you decided to make it your career. And that kind of gets us to our show today. We're going to be talking about careers in water treatment. And I went ahead and looked up how is career 
defined. A career is defined as a profession for which one trains and which is undertaken as a permanent calling. I really like that definition. And normally when I don't like a definition, I look a couple up until I find one that I like. But that was the first one that I came to. And all of us that call water treatment a career, I think that's a pretty good way to define it. We all have to train to understand water treatment. And the thing about water treatment, you never stop training. You are always learning something new because there's always something new to learn. My father told me when he started training me that the day I thought I knew everything about water treatment was the day I needed to quit water treatment because I was never going to learn everything. And I've met people out there that don't think there's anything else to learn in water treatment, and they're bored. Folks, there's no reason for you to be ever bored in this industry because this industry will never stop being a teacher. You may stop being a student, but there's always something new to learn if you care to learn it. So I'm talking to anybody out there now that might be bored in our industry. If I'm talking to you, I promise you, you are doing it wrong. This industry has so much to offer you if you are willing to pay the price. My goal is to learn something new in water treatment each and every day. Some days it's easier than others. I will tell you, there's some days that I do have to go looking for it, and there are other days that it finds me fairly easily. But when I go to bed every night, I want to know that I learned something that I didn't know from the previous day. I'll urge each of you to do that, especially if you are bored in this industry. And by the way, one of the easiest ways to get bored in this industry is to do the same thing over and over and over. If you guys have ever seen a factory where somebody is doing the same thing over and over and over again, of course, that's efficiency, but I can't imagine that's very stimulating. If you are treating your job in water treatment like that, as I said, you are doing it wrong. And if you normally start by doing something a certain way, maybe end that way. Maybe do something totally different. One of my mentors, Bruce Ketrick Sr., taught me a long time ago that every time I go to service an account, do one thing different and let the customer know that you did it. By the end of a year, you've done 12 things that are up and out of the regular scope, showing value to your customer. And by all means, make sure you tell your customer you did those things and document those things in the service report because when they come to you, because somebody always comes to them, with a lower price than what you are paying, you're gonna show them not only are you doing what you said you were going to be doing, you did 12 extra things, and those 12 extra things allowed you to stay sharp in that account, probably taught you some new things, and they also provided opportunities for you to learn more about the system that probably translated in more services for you to offer your customer. So never be bored in this industry. Always look for the next thing.
Here's some next things that you might be finding some interest in. So the American Chemical Society is having their conference August 21st through 25th in Chicago, Illinois. We've got a lot of chemists in our industry, so I'm sure there are several people that are members of the American Chemical Society. So to find out if this is a conference that you should be in, go to our show notes page and we will have links for you to find out more. Also, mark your calendars for Industrial Water Week. Industrial Water Week is always the first full week of October, starting this October, October 3rd through 7th. A day each and every day that week that we will be celebrating industrial water treatment. Monday will be pre-treatment. Tuesday will be boilers. Wednesday, cooling. Thursday, wastewater, and then Friday will be careers. An entire week just for us. Mark your calendar and do something to celebrate with other people in the industrial water treatment arena. This is an entire week where we get to celebrate this amazing career that we have and we want to make sure that we are doing that properly. So we'll make sure to have hashtags. We'll make sure to post things on social media. I hope you will take advantage of that so we can all celebrate together. And just like every Industrial Water Week, we will help you celebrate with a brand new episode each and every day that week. And we'll probably have some fun things for you to do to help celebrate Industrial Water Week. Once again, mark your calendars October 3rd through 7th. Nation, I love to have guests back. And that is exactly what we are going to do today. So Nation, please enjoy this interview. My lab partner today is Sean McGrade of Corita, returning guest from episode 188. Sean, how are you? I'm doing great, Trace. Thanks for, uh, for having me back. Absolutely. You know, it's not just me that wanted you back. The entire Scaling Up Nation wanted you back. You were one of the most listened to episodes that we have ever recorded. Wow, that's amazing. That's definitely an honor to kind of share my story with the Scaling Up Nation and, I don't know, maybe encourage some more folks that were curious on what the industry is all about. Sean, I really think that you did a fantastic job of explaining to lay people what it is that we do. And whenever I get a statistic from my team, I always want to know, well, how do we know about that? Why did that actually become one of our most listened to episodes? So we started diving deeper into our metrics and what we found is it's one of the most shared episodes. We can actually track and see who's sharing episodes. And that's where most new water treaters find us because people in the Scaling Up Nation says, hey, this is a great episode. You person that's not listening to this Scaling Up H2O podcast, this is something you should listen to. And what we think, we don't know for sure but we're thinking that water treaters shared this episode with people in their family or friends 
because it really did a good job. Episode 188, you did a great job of explaining what it is that we do, how we got involved in this industry. And I think it really allowed people to breathe and they could give a resource where people finally understood just a little bit about what being an industrial water trader is. Yeah, sometimes that's one of the most challenging things is trying to explain to our friends or, or family what we actually do. It's an honor that I was able to kind of paint that picture for folks. Well, since that episode did so well and the Scaling Up Nation loves Sean McGrade, we're going to do a part two of that. So everybody out there in the nation wants to know what has Sean been up to since episode 188? Uh, I've been up to a lot, you know, bringing on more clients. You know, I've just won a, a grueling bid for a couple data centers here in Minnesota that was, I think it went on for three or four different rounds. So that was really, that was a really good win um, recently. I went out to Seattle for the AWT Technical Training Week. That was a great time. Got to meet some some more folks in the industry. You know how important that is to me, Trace. And the lectures were phenomenal. I mean, you had Bruce Ketrick talking about boilers uh, he made it so interesting. He did an excellent job of just making it interactive. Jim Lukinich, you know, funny story there. We work for the same company and I've talked to Jim, you know, via email or text or, you know, calls many of times, but I never got the opportunity to meet him in the flesh. So he was out there in Seattle and it was great to actually get to meet him in person. And for those who know Jim, I mean, he's an interesting character in the best way possible. So that was definitely a highlight of going out to Seattle. You obviously were part of it. You did some calculations and some sales training. Jay Farmery, finally got to meet him. He's kind of somebody I've looked up to for a long time. Going out to Seattle was a great time. Numbers were down out there, I think, because of some of the COVID restrictions. So I, I think it, you know, some people were telling me Cleveland was a lot busier so I'm kind of glad I went out to Seattle. It was more of an intimate, you know, setting. And I kind of foresee the same thing with Vancouver, you know, with the travel restrictions. I don't know. I don't want to say numbers are going to be down, but the folks I've talked to, they're only going to send a select amount of people up there. So that would be, a, you know, another great place to go to meet folks and really have that intimate one-on-one -on -one or conversation because just not as many people up there. What else have I been up to? I recently wrote an article for process heating on film forming a means, my first paper. So that, that was an honor to be asked to, to write that. That's awesome. You're a published author now since we've last spoken to you. Yeah, definitely. It's really cool. Sean, you mentioned the AWT convention. Uh, of course, that's going to be in Canada, in Vancouver, and you can't talk to another water treater and hear them say, well, I think attendance is going to be down and I don't know if I'm going to go and maybe it's not going to be the best year to do all that. We've got the travel restrictions. But what I just love that I heard from you is you're really looking at the positive. You're saying, okay, well, maybe there aren't going to be all those people there. I'm going to have even more time to spend with the valuable vendors that are presenting either with papers or they're in the exhibit hall. We're going to be able to connect with people that we maybe want to know. Maybe they were too busy because they had so many people they had to meet with on a normal convention, but now they've got a more open schedule. I love that attitude, and I hope more people subscribe to that. Yeah, you got to look at the glass half full, as they'd say. 
So Sean, uh, a lot of people have not been to the AWT technical training. This was your very first technical training for somebody that's listening out there and maybe they don't think they know enough water treatment in order to go, or maybe they've been in this industry forever and they think that there's nothing for them to learn. How would you speak to each one of those people? So if, if somebody's new to the industry and kind of scared to go out there because they don't think they know enough, I mean... The fundamentals and applications course is specifically designed for those individuals. So I wouldn't shy away from, you know, being intimidated, not knowing enough. I mean, that's what it's there for. And then for the folks who kind of have that mindset of, oh, I know everything I need to know, uh, technology continues to change, you know, year in and year out. You want to stay up to date. You want to stay current with what's going on in our industry and the presenters you know, they're in tune with all that stuff. You got to look at it like I want to learn and learn and learn or be a forever learner. And not only just the classroom setting and getting to ask those questions that are sometimes, you know, tough or you think are going to stump people. Those are the caliber of folks that are going to be able to field those kind of questions. And and you meet people, you know, you, you connect, you network with folks throughout the nation. So you, you get to build relationships with other like-minded folks. A lot of people get in this industry because it pays well. It's very interesting. I truly believe that people stay in this industry because of the community. It's the people you know and the people that you meet and they're helping you with your day-to-day, with your career. Of course, one of the things that we've formed is a mastermind group. You've been one of the original members And we got to all get together in Seattle for the technical training, and we decided to go out to dinner. We had our own room in a restaurant, and oh my gosh, the community was just amazing. Yeah, that was an amazing dinner. That was a lot of fun. Uh, It it made me realize how many folks within the industry are part of that community and how we all help each other. It's just amazing how this the mastermind groups have come together. And how we all have each other's backs, you know, that sense of community is hard to find. And it just, you know, that dinner kind of highlighted how close that bond or relationship between all of us really is. Yeah, it definitely was a highlight for that entire week. And we went ahead and did that again when we were in Cleveland. And, you know, the thing that I just think is just amazing is how incredibly nice and generous people are in our industry you know, let's face it, we're all competing with each other. But at the end of the day, if you call somebody you know and you have an issue, I have never in my entire career had somebody tell me that they are not going to talk to me or to go pound sand or figure it out on your own. They've always been very generous with their time. People have even given me formulations that I've had issues with. I can't think of a better group of people And not that you need to join the mastermind to experience that, but oh my goodness, it definitely puts that on steroids. Totally agree. So Sean, what are some of the things that you do when you're not in water treatment? Specifically, I know that you are a fisherman and you catch some of the ugliest fish I have ever (laughs) seen in my life. Why would you want to catch this fish? What what are they called? Uh, Musky lunge or musky for short. They're beautiful to me. I, I think it's all relative, um, but it's it's just the allure of you, you don't get one every time. It takes a lot of work and effort 
grinding it out, trying to catch one of these fish, you know, a lot of people will compare it to deer hunting and going after that one big buck. I think they closely relate. You know, you're going for that apex predator. And when you get one, I mean, they're, they're massive fish. I mean, I think the only other fish in my area bigger is something called a sturgeon. So yeah, it's just the sport, the thrill of, it's an adrenaline rush. You catch one of these fish and I mean, I don't want to sound like a wuss, but the adrenaline rush is going so hard that you're literally shaking. Your hands will be shaking. No matter how many of these you catch, it's the same reaction every time. And if if you're not getting that adrenaline rush, well, then you need to find something else again. <laughs> well, I've been saltwater fishing before and we might have caught a sailfish or something like that. And you really have to struggle to get that guy into the boat. And a lot of times they break the line. Is that the same experience with this freshwater fish? Yeah, it's definitely, they fight hard. You want to get them in the boat as quick as possible because they're, they're known for shaking the hooks or getting off. You know, they're, they'll thrash around or do these head shakes. A lot of people, the tactic or technique is just to horse them in, not give them time to get off. Uh, but yeah, it's a challenge to get them in and you got to have a good net man to get them in the net. A lot of fun though. Sean, you mentioned you sold a few new accounts. We have a lot of people that are listening to this episode and they also have on their list that they need to sell some new accounts. What tips do you have for getting new business with everything that's going on this year? There's a lot of tips. A, a lot of my business lately has been coming from referral or getting in front of people. Um, so I'm written into an RFP. So I, I get to, I get to show up or I get to play in the reindeer games when a bid comes up. And a lot of that just comes with time within the industry and getting credibility around here. COVID is kind of loosening up. So people will actually take meetings, which is nice. I mean, when we, when it was first going on or first, you know, kind of the world shut down, you couldn't get in front of people. Everything, if you were lucky, you might be able to take a, a Zoom call with a plant or a prospect or whatever, but things are starting to loosen up. So I just, I'd, I'd encourage folks to get in front of people, see how you can help them. And I'm always a huge advocate of the holistic approach, you know, not just chemistries. There's, there's other stuff you can do to help them big picture wise, whether it's pre-treatment or, you know, list goes on and on. Just start getting in front of folks. Don't be scared to knock on some doors or or that kind of deal. Pareto's law, 80% of the results come from 20% of the activity. What should be the activity that we're doing each and every day that drives new sales? Effort, diligence, you know, planning sales time within your day. You know, sometimes we've had a long day and we, you know, face some challenges and you know, we're ready to go home, but if you can, if you can change your mindset, if you, if you can have some self-discipline and even if you don't want to, you know, plan that or ah, I'll do it tomorrow or whatever, if you force yourself, if you tell yourself, I'm going to do this regardless, you'll reap the rewards or the outcomes will, will be much greater. If you just continue to put it off, you got to build that time into your plan or into your schedule Otherwise, I mean, every day things come up. If, if you don't plan for it, 
I mean, the saying, if you don't plan, you plan to fail. It's kind of one of those deals. Something I love to encourage salespeople to do, and let's face it, everybody who's listening right now, you are a salesperson, is to track your sales activity. So what what are you doing that will actually produce a sale? And I'm willing to bet most people would be shocked how little time they're actually putting into that. Definitely. I worked through a program during COVID where we had a third party, you know, talk about virtual sales and, and kind of hone our prospecting skills. And he had something called uh, a sales funnel. And it just basically looked at the analytics behind how many calls, how many appointments, you know, the numbers to actually get that one sale. So it kind of really woke me up to understand that it's a numbers game and you just, you got to be diligent. You got to put it or plan for it and make it a priority. Otherwise it'll just fall by the wayside and days will continue to go on and no new sales. Sean, I know you're very diligent in Wilson's versatile sales program. When I teach sales, I teach the temperaments. And Nation, if you haven't heard about the temperaments, I think I've had Kathleen on at least twice. And it's been one of the items that has helped me with every single one of my relationships more than anything that I can think of. So episode 117 was the last time that Kathleen was on. But Sean, I'm curious because people ask me all the time, how does temperament and VSP, how do they all match up or do they? You know what? It's funny you bring this up because I had a light bulb moment when we worked through, I said this, you heard that. So I had went through CSP and VSP by Wilson's Learning. And then when we you know, read that book within our mastermind group, I'm like, wow, these actually closely relate. Just, yeah, one of those light bulb moments. And I think you've had Bob, Bob Davis on the show as well from Wilson Learning. I have. I definitely connected the dots there and temperaments go hand in hand with uh, the different temperaments or different groups in VSP. And basically all you're doing uh, with this knowledge is understanding how to talk to somebody. So understanding how they're going to be receptive to what you're trying to say to them. And it's not to trick them. It's just to be able to speak their language. I mean, there's a bunch of different temperament things out there. I mean, Enneagram, I won't go into the weeds with it, but they all closely relate and the whole rationale behind them is understanding how other people tick to give you, you know, a better way to actually communicate with them. I'm a blue in, in the temperaments or in, I heard this, you heard that, which means I'm very analytical. Trace, you're a red. Just knowing that I, I have an upper leg in knowing how to communicate with you, number one, and number two, what how you're going to be receptive. What or on the reverse side, what you do when you're not, you know, clicking on all or firing in all cylinders. There's also the reverse side of understanding if something's wrong with them, where they go to. And, and you could probably speak to that a lot more than me, but it just gave me a whole different way of looking at relationships and communication. And I've, you know, I've transitioned that within my you know, technical sales are building relationships with my clients and it's helped immensely. I love that you set it up that the big thing is it's not about manipulation. It's about 
better communication. And that is so key. And there are a lot of great sales materials out there and sales trainings, but many of them are, how do I make somebody do something that I want them to do? And I love that you said, that's not what this is. This is about communicating better. And you brought up that you are a blue, I am a red. So an example of that is you are very analytical. You speak the language of order and perfection, where I am red, I speak the language of power and control, and I don't like to get bogged down in the details. I like to know that there is a a control and somebody is in control If nobody's in control, I'll step up and take that control. But if you bog me down in details, you're going to lose me. However, if I don't communicate with you in a way that you can see all the details, I'm going to lose you. It's such a great tool. Most definitely. It's been a game changer for me. And you mentioned Bob Davis Nation. That's episode 239. Uh, He came on and he talked about all the great programs that Wilson does. And Sean is a product of that. And he's out there making and closing sales. So there you go. Can't have a better testimonial for that. Sean, you had mentioned that you read, I said this, you heard that because it's one of the books that we assigned in the mastermind. Do you think that would have been a book that you would have found and read on your own? Possibly. I mean, like I said, I I dug into some of the other temperament books. It wasn't the next book in line, but I definitely benefited from from that being brought to the mastermind group. I mean, honestly, all the books we've read in the mastermind have helped us all. But I, I'm sure glad I you know it was introduced to me, and I thought it was a lot of fun when we were at the live event. We you know we took whatever 15, 20 minutes for all of us to answer. Uh, the questionnaire and just be brutally honest. And it was funny going around the room and, you know, everyone who's a blue, who's a red, who's a green, who's a yellow. And just (laughs) seeing all the different temperaments within our community. Were you surprised to learn anybody's temperament? Not necessarily. I was more, it just more reaffirmed some of my suspicions. <laughs> so no, knowing the language and how to communicate better with certain temperaments, how has that changed how we talk with each other within our mastermind group? Understanding, again, the communication piece, understanding their attributes or how they like to communicate. What, you know, like you mentioned, uh, I'm a details oriented guy. You don't want all the details. So knowing that, I just got to hit my bullet points to get a message across, have the main points, but I don't, I'm going to lose you if I start getting in the weeds. And each temperament, you know, has a variation of what they're receptive to or how they're going to receive something in the best light or the best way. Yeah, I've been really impressed with how people have dug into the temperaments, especially in the mastermind. And when we give feedback during that part of our call, people are actually using their knowledge of the fact that I'm a red or you're a blue and how to deliver that information. And I've seen where people have been a lot more effective in utilizing that information because they're they're not mishearing it or they're not taking it to a level that it wasn't meant to go to because there was a miscommunication. People are really trying to put on other people's lenses and help them where they're at. Definitely. Do you think people get tired of me talking about the temperaments on the podcast? I just love it so much. No, I mean, I think it, you're passionate about it. It's it's a great resource or a great tool. And I mean, you can apply it on so many different levels. I mean, they have a kid's version of the book to understand your children better. 
you know, it's really there to develop, you know, better relationships or understand people at a deeper level. And I can understand why you're so passionate about it. Well, I appreciate that. I hope the nation is uh, enduring me talking about this. Nation, if you have not looked into I Said This, you heard that. I tell you, it is the best thing that I have ever done to help every single one of the relationships that I have in my life. And it wasn't something that I was going to look for. It was something I was having problems with, and it found me, and I'm sure glad that it did. And Kathleen is actually coming out with some more materials So I'll be sure to keep you up to date with that. You mentioned the children's book. It's how do we use temperaments for our kids? But I tell you, it works for everybody. You take out the word child and it works for every human being. And it is just action packed with all the extra tips and and guides on how does a yellow talk to a blue? How does a blue talk to a red? It just has great information in there. So uh, we'll have all that information on our show notes page, but I just want to highlight that because that's one of the ways that you can become more successful in how you communicate what it is that you do to a potential customer and do it in a way that they really enjoy being educated about what services you're going to provide for them. Sean, what are some other personal development tools that you're using? I know we do a lot in the mastermind. I know you try to do a lot on your own, but let the Scaling Up Nation know. What what are some things that you do that perhaps they can do as well? I like pushing or challenging myself, kind of bringing the best version of myself to the table, whether it's in my personal or, you know, professional life. A big one is just reading books, whether it's, you know, physical book or audible. I've been fortunate to have a lot of good books introduced uh, via our group, and we actually work through them, and we digest them, and we spend time looking at them from all different points of view. Every other week, you know, we have a book discussion where somebody leads the conversation. I, I'd say that's that's been a huge part of my personal development is just taking the time to learn new material. Some of the other things, you know, just jumping on the internet. If something uh, I'm curious about, uh, there's this thing called Google out there where you can pretty much find anything you want to about any topic. So I'd say just having that curious spirit or being (laughs) what I consider a forever learner, that's definitely helped the most with my personal development and growth is just having that spirit that I always want to keep learning and keep digging in, whether it's water treatment or other things I'm interested in. I mean, water treatment specifically, it's like an onion, you know, there's layers upon layers and you can just keep peeling them back and you'll never know it all. None of us will ever reach the point where we know everything in water treatment. It's just not feasible or possible, but there's a resource out there that will help you with whatever you're trying to figure out. Sean, how do you know that you don't know something? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't thought of, of that before. Um, somebody asks me a question and I can, you know, be honest or look at myself in the mirror and be like, wow, I don't know that. Not having the answer. And I might have a suspicion or I might, you know, have some insight of what I think is the answer. But until it's validated or confirmed, I don't assume anything. I heard that phrase from uh, a gentleman that I still work with. His name is Tim Fulton. And and he asked me that. He said, how do you you know what you don't know? And 
ever since he asked me that question, I have just been consumed by it. And people say, Trace, why do you read so much? Why do you have all these conversations with people? Why do you always introduce people to, to other people? And it's for that reason. It's very selfish. I'm always trying to figure out what it is that I don't know that I don't know so I can get to know it. And the fortunate thing that in water treatment, there's always going to be stuff that we don't know that we don't know. So learning those things for me allows me to know that I'm getting better. Uh, my personal mission statement is knowing that today is better than yesterday in whatever way you want to formulate that. And learning something new guarantees that I'm doing that. So I'm always curious to how people do that. Nation, if you have not considered that, I think it puts things in a whole different perspective. How do you know the things that you don't know so you can start to learn them? And Sean, you mentioned Google, and I don't want to burst your bubble, but occasionally some things might not be 100% accurate that are online. Yes, no, I I get that, Trace. But I think also what I want to just uh, chime in and say is I think you just got to explore it. If you don't know something, you just got to have that curious spirit. Uh, a lot of it can come from other individuals, just, you know, relationships or friendships or whatever. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And how do you find out what you don't know? And it's really a benefit that the fact that we can Google something, we can get information so easily at our fingertips now. And the fact that we know that it might not be 100% accurate we can be skeptical with it. And the fact that we can be a little bit skeptical means that we're not going to read that and take it for face value. We're going to learn the next thing. And that's either going to confirm or disprove what we just read. And then we're going to learn something else. And hopefully before too long, we're actually teaching that information to somebody in our industry. Well, and that's the best way to learn something is to teach it to others, you know, because you have to have your stuff together in order to teach somebody. Of all the people that you mentioned in the technical training, those were the people that I saw when I went to my first technical training. And I remember thinking, wow, these people know things that I don't know. And I didn't have the language to say that at that time, but whatever I put together to say that in the language that I had, I knew I wanted to get better. And I wanted to have a command over those topics like those individuals that you mentioned earlier in the show. And I knew the only way that I could do that was to get involved within that committee because then I was connected with those people. I had a reason and they had a reason to be involved with me. And I just started doing things for the AWT. I started working on the education committee. I started working on the marketing committee. And then there became an opportunity where the math was available for somebody to teach Nobody else wanted to do it, and I couldn't think of anything more than I wanted to start out teaching because I just really enjoy math. So of that, I know you are involved with different organizations. What can you tell water treaters today about the benefits of getting involved, and how do you get involved? There's a lot of different ways to get involved. I mean, AWT is probably the biggest one uh, folks could kind of research or dig into a little bit more. I think the biggest thing is it's just it's connected me with folks within the industry. So I'm building those relationships with other people who do pretty much exactly or similar um, on the day to day. And it just it, it, it makes you so you have that sense of community. 
and you're not alone. You can bounce ideas off other people. You get different perspective. I'm not involved in too many groups outside of the water treatment industry. I mean, the other big commitment or thing I'm involved with is firefighting. Uh, So I'm in some different volunteer groups with that. But yeah, I would encourage more folks to get involved with different organizations and different groups to, I mean, you look at it like you're giving back, but you get so much more out of it when you're involved with those type of things. Totally agree. And again, it's all about community. And when we have community, we ensure that we're not a commodity. So think about that and think about what are the things that you're doing to make sure that you're making yourself better, you're making the industry better, you're networking with people, you're forming that community. Well, I'm not going to let it slip by that you said you were a firefighter. So you have to tell us about that. How did you get involved with that? Okay. So back in the day, uh, I was kind of at this point in my life where I was a a lead engineer for a school district and I knew it wasn't going to survive what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. So I, I did some soul searching and I was big into health and fitness back then. And I was trying to correlate a job that that was important with, uh, and I liked the sense of giving back to the community or helping people out. So I kind of had this moment where I was like, okay, the longer I'm with the school district, the harder it's going to be to kind of break away from this because there's a pension program and, you know, it's a, it's a government job. So there's a lot of incentives to stick with it. And I was right around the 10 year mark. So yeah, I went back to school. Well, at first I did a little digging to figure out what I needed to do to become a firefighter and went back to school, got my EMT Uh, Went through uh, a St. Paul hiring process, which is one of the bigger cities here in the Twin Cities area. And it's like, I mean, what I'd considered the holy grail of firefighting. I was kind of ignorant of how challenging it is to get on that department. But I still went through the motions and I still trained for it and studied. And, you know, I I, I remember sitting down uh, for the uh, written test portion of it and just looking around and there's like literally thousands of people in this giant room. I'm like, Oh, I probably don't have a chance, but the physical part I did really good at. I, you know, there was this thing where if you did their obstacle course in less than three minutes and 30 seconds, you got a hundred points or full uh, credit. And I did it, you know, I was training my, you know, what off back at that time. I did it in like two minutes and 40 seconds. And I just remember feeling so proud of all that hard work. Fast forward about a year later, I was in a, I lived in a different city called White Bear Lake. Also that lake has huge mussies in it too, just to let the scaling up nation know as well. So that kind of worked out great. And that's kind of where that addiction came in. But yeah, I still wanted to become a firefighter. So I was a a part-time firefighter, basically volunteer, you know, work shifts and respond from home. And I've uh, been doing that for a while now. I mean, the the fire department has morphed over the years to be something different, different structure where we have a lot more full-time folks. And then us part-time people just kind of supplement them. And we work 12-hour shifts. There's a day shift and a night shift. Both are 12 hours. And our commitment is 36 hours per month. So what that equates to is three shifts per month, and I love it. And yeah, it, it's, it's gives me a great sense of giving back and community, you know, with all 
my fellow firefighters and paramedics and EMT um, friends and colleagues. Um, I've developed some great relationships. I've seen some really cool stuff, some really horrific stuff. And I'm an adrenaline junkie, so it's it helps suffy that craving I have. Sean, as I mentioned at the top of the show, one of the most listened to episodes that we have had was episode 188. So I don't think I would be doing justice to the Scaling Up Nation if we didn't put a little bit more of that into this show. So I want to ask, if there are people that are listening to you today and they maybe they don't know what water treatment is or they're thinking about becoming a water treater and starting a career in water treatment what would you tell them so there's there's many different routes right like so if you're interested in getting involved in water treatment i mean there's like the met council or wastewater drinking water there's working in plants whether it's food medical equipment refineries plastic molding, you know, list goes on and on. There's specific verticals or markets you could work in. And then, I mean, depending on how early you're interested, I mean, there's, I don't know if they have this around the nation, but we have something called STEM programs where people, you know, in grade school or high school can get involved with uh, different activities that are related to, you know, engineering or math or water and it, it, you know, it kind of allows them to see if there is interest. And then, I mean, something as an internship. So let's say, you know, some companies out there have partnerships with college, colleges. So, you know, somebody, you know, maybe studying chemical engineering, they do an internship with a company and get to, you know, dip their toe in the water, no pun intended, to kind of see if it's a right fit for them. You know, there's not, I I wouldn't say there's a lot of people that go to school for water treatment, Um, but there's many different paths or routes you can take to get involved with water in general. I mean, water pollution or quality, EPA, I mean, there are so many different titles or jobs that are related to water. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we could throw some other resources on the show notes page of what some of those resources really are. I mean, I kind of fell into water treatment, um, you know, getting lucky and being plucked out of being an engineer or an operator and getting the opportunity to, you know, be a part of this industry. And I'm sure by this day and age, there's got to be a ton of resources out there for, you know, people who are interested in, in making this a career. Something that came to mind when you were talking about resources, and I don't think a lot of people know about this one, but AWT developed a STEM kit for like an early high school lab where they can learn about water quality. Didn't Frank have a big part of creating that? I believe Aquaphoenix developed it, and they're the ones that are actually selling it for AWT. I believe. I don't know that 100%. So yeah, so if you're, we'll try to get that link on the show notes page. What a great thing to do is, you know, be familiar with that kit or how do you talk to your local community about what it is that you do? I remember I was in, I want to say seventh grade and my dad was a water treater, but I could care less because he was my dad and that was just what he did. I didn't even give it a second thought, 
But I remember one day a hydrologist came and he had all these, I think they were transparencies and slides, Sean. That was the world I grew up in. And he was showing pictures uh, on a slideshow of him sampling water and showing how things were contaminated and what he would do to figure out where it was coming from and how they could remediate it. And I was just fascinated by that. And I went home and I told my dad about that. And he was like, are you kidding me? You've never asked me anything about what it is that I do. You know, we can even have a conversation about this. But that did open up a whole different line of communication with my father. And it was because somebody took the time to come talk to my class and it inspired me to do something. Yeah. I mean, think about how many people we could reach or how many people we could touch that are interested. I mean, I think the AWT resource is huge, but now you got me interested. I'm going to do a little bit more digging and see other ways. Maybe that's the next thing I do is give back to the community in that facet. Well, we look forward to hearing all about that in part three. But before we get there, I've got some new lightning round questions for you. So are you ready for round two of the lightning round? Strap in. Here we go. All right. So my first question, and I truly believe that every person out there is a superhero and they have their own superpower. What would you say your superpower is? Ah, superpower. I don't know. I mean... I walk around every day with my cape and test kit. No, I'm just kidding. I think uh, my ability to just communicate with folks, I think a, a big part of that is communicate with you know my clients or customers. A big part of that is just being in their shoes for so long you know, of my life. Superpower is ability to communicate with my customers. All right, let's move on to the next question. What would you say your biggest accomplishment has been in your career? Biggest accomplishment? I, I, writing that paper, that was something that I didn't imagine I'd ever do. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Okay. So you had never authored a paper before. There was a reason you wanted to. So what was that reason? And then what was your process to actually get it published? So I just wanted to share I love empowering folks or sharing. I think that's a big trait that you've kind of instilled in me is like we always say, uh, a rising tide raises all boats. I I wanted to be able to give back and I was approached by them to write an article. And I'm like, number one, I was just humbled by it. I'm like, wow, me. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to be able to share with the community. If you had a magic wand and you could change anything in the world, what would it be? You know, first thing that comes to mind is the 6K or, you know, Reed's passion um, for clean water for the world. But if I had a magic wand, I think it's just peace on earth. Uh, There's a lot of stuff going out there that's just really horrible. Uh, So, yeah, just peace. Can't go wrong with asking for world peace. My last question You know the township is going to do this. When they erect a statue of you, what does the plaque say? Ah, gave it his all. There you have it, folks. Sean, so good having you back in the studio, learning what you've been up to since episode 188. Thank you so much for doing that. It's always a pleasure, Trace. Thanks for having me back. 
Nation, if you have not met Sean McGrade, what a great guy. Sean was one of the original people that started listening to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. He was one of the people that started from episode one. And thank you for all the people that listened to episode one and continue to listen to the podcast. You know, episode one used to really bother me. Now I use it to inspire myself and others. It, it shows that we all start somewhere and that if we don't start, we will never get better. And if we don't ask ourselves, what don't we know we don't know? And how do we challenge ourselves to make the product that we were putting out right now better the next time we put it out? I think this podcast is a great example of that. It's an example of all things, technology, uh, procedural, uh, how I interview people, how I talk, how my voice has different inflections, how I hopefully stay interesting throughout the podcast. All these things I have tried to work on. I've noticed that in the beginning, I would say certain garbage words. Maybe they were and or um. I've tried to eliminate that from my vocabulary so you all don't have to listen to that. When I hear myself speak at a conference, when they record me and I listen to myself later, which by the way, I don't care who you are, that's always difficult to listen to yourself, but I can hear a huge difference in how I speak because I practice that, because I do work with people and they critique me on how I speak. So if there's something that you are doing and you want to do better, by all means, figure out how to do that. It might be watching some YouTube videos. It might be hiring a coach. It might be putting yourself out there so you can do some presentations in front of some other audiences. Whatever it is, challenge yourself. And I would say that that sums Sean up. Sean is always looking for ways to challenge himself. He's a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind. He was one of the very first members of the Rising Tide Mastermind. And we just had a live event for the Rising Tide Mastermind. And of course, you know, we get to learn so much about each other every time we have a in-person live event. Sean's just great. He uh, He's always there to do whatever the mastermind asks for of him and he's normally helping other people along the way. So uh, by all means, reach out to Sean, let him know that you enjoyed this podcast. And if there's somebody that you want to hear from, let me know there were so many of you out there that wanted me to have Sean back on the podcast. And as I mentioned, Sean was one of the top downloaded podcasts that we have had throughout our five-year history. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's because Sean is just so easily uh, able to relate to other people. I think he's easy to listen to. And I think there's so many people out there that have shared that podcast with others to explain what it is that they do. I was talking with somebody at the AWT Technical Conference a couple of months ago, and they told me that they use Sean's episode to teach their parents what it is that they do. And I think a lot of you have done that. So with that, if you've got a new person that is getting involved in the water treatment industry, maybe share that episode of the podcast with them so they can better understand what they are 
applying for. And I've heard of so many companies doing that, that they have a list of podcast episodes of Scaling Up H2O that they have prospective team members listen to. So when they come to see them on maybe a final interview, they've got some better questions about the job that they are getting ready to accept. So feel free to take that tip from other members of the Scaling Up Nation that I have heard. I've heard a lot of success with that. And Sean, thank you for sharing your story once again with the Scaling Up Nation. Nation, here is a brand new installment of Thinking on Water with James. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about the correct way to install a cooling tower blowdown meter. First, what type of meter should one use? Do you know the options available and the pros and cons of each? Then, how should the blowdown meter be installed? Vertically? Horizontally? Does the meter need to be continually flooded? Is freeze protection an issue? Can the meter communicate with the controller to log the data? Why would a blowdown meter be a handy thing to have? Take this week to think about cooling tower blowdown meters and how they should be installed. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. Well, Nation, I want to thank you for spending the last hour with me. I always enjoy bringing these episodes to you. And of course, the only way I can do that is for you to let me know what you want me to talk about. So if you have a show idea or somebody you want me to interview, go to scalinguph2o.com, navigate over to our show ideas page, or leave us a voicemail. Either way, I will be able to keep new shows coming to you each and every week, like next Friday. Have a great week, folks. Scaling Nation, life is too short to do it alone. And that's why I have been in a mastermind for over a decade. It's why I started the Rising Tide Mastermind, and it's why the Rising Tide Mastermind is so successful. You do not need to face your problems alone. You don't need to face your issues alone. You can learn from others' experiences so you don't have to repeat their mistakes and you can get further faster because others are giving you a hand. To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if this is the right group for you.